Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to week four of the Supernatural series. How are we doing tonight? Good, 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 good. All right, well, it is uh, great to see you. If, uh, if we haven't met or you, you haven't been to any part of the series so far, uh, my name is Pastor Brian Kiley, serve on the pastoral staff here at Bridgeway. Uh, honored to be able to introduce Pastor Lance to you tonight. Want to offer a very quick recap of what was covered this last week and then forecast a little for what uh, Pastor Lance will be sharing this evening and then we'll We'll, we'll get him out here, and, and, and away we'll go. So, so this last week uh, was about uh, impartation and healing. So Lance talked about what is impartation and how does God use it. And then there was an extended discussion about healing. And really, the bottom line is we talked about uh, how God does heal today, that, that the gift of healing we believe and we teach and we practice here at Bridgeway is a gift that is for today. And if you were here last week, and I was not, I was with my mother celebrating her birthday, but if you were here last week, there was a, a time of praying for various individuals who needed healing, and Pastor Lance demonstrated that. He brought some people up, and there was prayer over those folks. Now, here's what's interesting, is that while the people that were prayed for talked about, I mean, they said, we really felt touched by the Lord, we felt good, it was just a wonderful experience to be prayed for. None of them reported miraculous healing, but we did have a couple of ladies who were here in the congregation suffering from similar things to what one gentleman named Bruce was being prayed for for, a back issue. We've had two women who have reported that they themselves were healed while we were here praying for Bruce, that their backs were healed. So we'll, we'll celebrate that. We'll, praise God. That's fantastic. So, so, which just goes to show, uh, there's a lot involved in the way that God heals that is perhaps a bit mysterious. But of course, we want to celebrate and give God praise for however he chooses to heal, that our job is to be faithful in prayer. And uh, Pastor Lance spent a lot of time last week answering the question, uh, does God want to heal everyone? And then the answer to that was yes and no. And he gave eight reasons why God heals, eight reasons found in the Bible, and then seven reasons why God may not heal. I would recap those for you, but it would take too long. So, uh, yeah, number six was, uh, you'll have to ask him. Now, uh, the, <laughs> the, uh, but the key truth, and here was the, here was the key truth that he, that he shared, and, and this is so true in so many different arenas, but, but healing is one of them, that, that a no answer from God, that if we pray for healing and God does not heal, that does not mean you're not loved, that there might be a greater plan in play. We don't know entirely what God is doing, but God's love for us is not determined by our experience of how well we think he's doing what we ask him to do. Right, God's love for us is proven by Jesus on the cross. So we can rest in the reality of if we pray for healing and we're not healed, we can rest in the truth that, that God is doing something in that, that God has, has his reasons and greater reasons uh, for that. Now, uh, Pastor Lance was not able to get through a lot of the planned material. He had a lot of material he, he had intended to share last week, but he didn't get through all of it. So there'll be kind of some bonus uh, teaching that we're going to record and, and make available, and, 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 and we'll make it real clear when that's out, but uh, you'll want to keep watching for that. So, so that was last week. This week, uh, this week's content is largely about how God speaks to his creation? How does God speak? There's going to be uh, a study of Old Testament prophetic ministry, so how did prophecy work in the Old Testament, versus 
present-day prophetic ministry? How does prophecy work today? Uh, Pastor Lance is going to talk about how can, we, how can we hear from God more in our personal lives, and then how to minister in and receive prophetic ministry. That This sort of thing, I don't know how that phrase, even prophetic ministry, I don't know how that land, lands with you. Maybe it's very normal. Maybe it, it, it seems a little bit of a stretch for you. But regardless, this sort of ministry is happening very naturally all around us, and we may not even realize it. So there's going to be some education this evening on what that is, how does it work, how can we understand it, uh, how, how to do it, and then how to kind of deal with or respond to those who practice it. Uh, two specific, unique areas of, of prophecy that are going to be highlighted is, number one, there's words of knowledge and wisdom, words of knowledge and wisdom, and then number two is, is tongues and prayer languages. So pastor will talk about words of knowledge and wisdom and tongues of prayer languages. So that's where we're going to go tonight. A couple of logistical things to keep in mind is while uh, we've mentioned this a few times during the series, while this is not necessarily a church service, it's okay to kind of act like it is. Okay, so, so amen, talking back, you know, smiling, that's all good. So if a uh, pastor says something that you think that's a great point, then you can say, amen. boom, nailed it. All right, well done. There's going to be... Um, <clears throat> There's going to be an hour and a half of teaching, and then at the hour and a half mark, we're going to close the teaching, we're going to cut the video, and you can sort of applaud at that as if it were the end. And then there's going to be a half an hour of practical demonstration that is not going to be live streamed and, and sent out to Facebook, and it's not going to be part of part of uh, what, is, what is used for, you know, publicly. That's just going to be something in-house. So there'll be about an hour and a half of teaching and then a half an hour of practical demonstration. And I uh, just want to encourage you, uh, a lot, wherever you are in all of this, again, some of this is going to be, uh, or for some of you, a lot of what we're going to cover tonight is, is material you're very comfortable with. For, for others of us, the material we're going to cover is going to be a little bit of a stretch. And wherever you are on that spectrum is 100% okay uh, we just want to encourage you to, to keep an open heart and open mind uh, and be ready to learn. So, with no further ado, please welcome out Pastor Lance. Well, hi, everybody. This is good. All right. Well, we're going to dive right into this. Uh, welcome to part four of our Supernatural series uh, let's dive in. We have a communicating God. Can you, we all agree on that? We have a communicating God. And the reason why we know that is Genesis 1 tells us that God spoke the universe into being. If you remember that, it says, uh, and God said, let there be light. Now, why would he communicate it that way? Why would he create it through a word, through communication? You're going to find out a little bit later that that was all prophetic as well. But the idea is that God's words are agents of creation, that what God says comes to pass. He can just think it, but he chooses to speak it. Now, we also realize that it says, Hebrews 11:3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Obviously, the prophecy refers to who but Jesus Christ, John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In other words, 
not only did God create with a word, but the second person of the Trinity is defined as the word. That is not an accident. That is very, very purposeful. As a matter of fact, as we go along, we find out that words and the word of God and the communication of God is what helps us keep going. So, for example, Matthew 4, 4, Matthew 4, 4, 14 and 18, Jesus answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every what? Word that comes from the mouth of God. By every word that comes from the mouth of God, what God says is our reality. It is so critical for us to hear from our God. God is a communal being. He's a relational being, and relationship requires communication. I'm going to lay layer after layer after layer the importance of God speaking to you. That's really where I'm going. Revelation 12, 11, and they have conquered the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Why does God have us be witnesses? Why does he have us go out and give our testimony? Because our words confirm the reality of God. You go, well, that's kind of stretching a little bit. Okay, well, Ephesians 6, 17, when we are supposed to have the armor of God, what do we fight with? The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Even we defend ourselves by the very word of God. Do our words matter? Romans 10, 8, what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart one believes and is justified, and with a mouth one confesses and is saved. Why in the world... Would he include the idea of confession? We also realize it goes on and on throughout the Bible. Confess your sins one to another that you might be healed. The idea of getting something outside of you, C.S. Lewis and some other writers have commented that when we say something, it becomes more real to us. That if you see a beautiful sunset or an incredible vista and you're all alone, it's not quite as real as when you get a chance to say to someone else, look at that, and it becomes more real. Words matter. God's word matters most. If he created us, he knows why we're built. He knows how the world works. Therefore, he's the only one to help us navigate. He's the only one that helps us walk through his creation. What I want to share with you, and you may well know, is that the idea of hearing from God and speaking on his behalf is happening all the time. As a matter of fact, you are operating in what I am defining as prophetic ministry quite a bit. As a matter of fact, at Bridgeway, which is where most of you attend, you're having it shared constantly, but you just don't call it that. It's a matter of semantics, but you'll find out it's happening and you have no problem with it. 
As a matter of fact, it's been probably one of your greatest blessings. Let's do a brief history of God's communication with mankind. This is very, very important as we lay a foundation. Uh, a majority of the Old Testament is God talking, okay? It's always some story or another, and the only way that they knew what was going on was God talking, and they wanted to capture that, so they put that in the Bible. Now, the, God's Word says that God has always been speaking. Sometimes He speaks through His creation, that is called general revelation. There's two ways that God communicates. One is general revelation, that is his creation. The other one is special revelation, which is communication. General revelation is described in Romans 1, 19 and 20. It says, for what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. General revelation says that everything God creates around us is still a communication tool. You are supposed to look at vast caverns and see the magnitude of God. You are supposed to see the powerful waterfalls impact on the rocks and see the transformation of God. It's the reason why when Jesus walked through his worldly life here, he would grab stuff all around him and go, the kingdom of God is like, and he would turn around and there's an analogy. God has built analogies everywhere around us. Why? so that astrophysicists would see God, so that chemists would see God, so that botanists would see God, so that doctors would see God. Do you understand? Everywhere you look, he is revealing himself over and over and over so that you might know him. We were created for two purposes, glory to God and relationship with our creator. Everything he does is to draw us deeper and deeper into relationship with him, yeah? All right. What I want to take all of our time today to do is to talk more about his special revelation, God actually communicating uniquely individually to different people or people groups. I'm not going to spend much time at all on his creation, that's a whole nother study that we can all do. Uh, and sometimes in apologetics, you get to see the power of God in creation. So it's very exciting to study, but we're not gonna be focusing on that today. Let's focus on special revelation. Now I want to go through the Trinity, how the Father speaks, how the Son speaks, and how the Holy Spirit speaks. Each one of them are very unique. Each one of them engaged with humanity in a slightly different way. So we begin with how the Father speaks. In the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, God spoke to all of mankind. How many were there? Two. two. All right. That's still all, isn't it? I mean, if you only have two to choose from and you get all of them, all right, great. So the Father spoke to all of them. It says, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And God said to them, don't eat of the tree. And God said to them, what did you do? You understand what I mean? He was constantly communicating. So from the beginning with his creation, he talks. He communicates. He shares his heart with theirs. But then something occurred. Sin entered into the world. When they chose something other than him, it created a rift. It created a break between God and man. And the communication was altered. When sin enters in, you're going to find out that sin is a type of blocker 
to contact and communication with a holy and righteous and almighty God. Not because he doesn't like you anymore, it's a matter of what you can contain and receive. Yeah? All right, so we got we to watch that one. So here we go. It shifted from God speaks to all to God may speak to all. This is the shift that occurred because of sin. So for example, God the Father was the one that talked with Cain. Do you remember that? He said, hey, Cain, where's your brother at? Right? He communicated directly with him. It was God the Father that talked with Noah and his sons directly. It actually says, I need you to build me an ark. And then as he went along, it said his sons were right there with him. So they're all hearing. Now, nobody else is hearing the voice of God necessarily, but Noah is, and his sons are. God the Father talked with Job directly. If you remember, the majority of that book is this big, long dialogue. That's very, very telling that God would have long communications with his people. Why did he do that, especially with Job? Well, you're going to find out Job had a unique relationship with God, that when God looked out at mankind, just like with Noah, he said, that kid's on the top. I love that kid. He's all in with me, and I can talk to him in a different way. God periodically picks people out like that. All right, this is where things start to shift. Sin, as it is growing in the world, begins to create more and more and more distance. When we get to the patriarchs, you all know the patriarchs of the Jewish religion. They are Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. You always want to remember that line. It helps keep everything in order. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Here's what you're going to find out. Upon intense study of them, you find out Abraham gets clarity and lots of info. You go, well, nuh-uh, God just said you need to leave your people and go. And I'll tell you, that's not the only thing they talked about. Do you remember the whole long dialogue about Sodom and Gomorrah going back and forth? I mean, God is talking to Abraham and he's getting tons of information. Here's what's interesting. To the next generation, into Isaac, the conversations suddenly get shorter. By the time you get to Jacob, his son, God is very distant, and it starts moving into dreams. He communicates with Jacob through dreams. If you think about Jacob's ladder and all those different things, it starts shifting away from personal communication, more distant, and it slips into dreams. By the time we hit Joseph, it's almost exclusively dreams. So what you're watching is the father had this incredible intensity of communication and intimacy, and then because of the impact of sin, it began to distance and distance and distance, and it got more and more remote. We started getting into areas that can be easily misunderstood. A dream is not easy to understand. Can we all agree on that? Right? So even then, when Pharaoh is uh, talking about all these dreams and everything, Joseph will be, well, it's kind of like this. Well, when you get to Daniel... He's like, man, I don't even know what to tell you, guy. I, I mean, I'm going to go back and I'm going to plead with God like crazy because I have no idea what your dreams mean. Those are all over the place, yeah? Okay, so it starts getting more remote. But then comes someone along the line that for whatever reason, usually it's because of his anointing of what he needed to do, God draws near. That is a man by the name of Moses. You all know Moses, right? Moses, Exodus 33, 9 through 11. It says, when Moses entered the tent of meeting, that's where he and God used to hang out, the pillar of cloud, the presence of God, 
would descend and stand at the entrance to the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. That is drastically different than what everyone else was experiencing. Remember the premise of this series. It can be legit even if you never experience it. Not everybody gets to experience the same things. If you're always waiting for everything to be verified in your life, you're not going to believe a whole lot of stuff about God because he sprinkles out his blessings among his people. He needs you and I to get together to tell our testimony so we know more about God. And I'm always going to look over and look at you slightly with a, nah, <laughs> And you're going to say the same thing to me, all right? That's kind of how it works. But there's a very important passage about Moses that is telling Numbers 12, the book of Numbers 12, 5 through 9. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance to the tent and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forward and he said to them, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, Yahweh, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream, but not so with my servant Moses. You see, he is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth. That's a very weird Hebrew expression. I, you're like, <laughs> I speak to him. <laughs> Don't write that in a Hallmark card. It's <laughs> so awkward. <laughs> with him, I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of Yahweh. Now, what that's so telling about is not just that he was very unique and intimate and connected with Moses, but how he spoke with all the other prophets. He said, with everybody else, I speak to them in visions, dreams, and it's like a riddle. Well, what, is it, what do you know about a riddle? They're hard to understand and figure out, right? So, meaning God's communication was hard to understand even back in the day. Here's what I'm trying to point out. I hope you're putting the little dots together. I'm going to talk a lot about why it's hard to understand and hear and communicate with God. It's always been hard to hear and communicate with God. It has been very rare that it was super easy and clear. As a matter of fact, it always demanded faith. It always demanded scrutiny. It always demanded things like this. So he was saying, listen, all the way back in the day, I talked to Moses different. This whole clear communication, you know, everything I'm saying, that's rare, y'all. That's not what I do. I speak in visions, dreams, and riddles. Ah, that's important. All right, so how did he speak directly to these people? Because the Bible will say, and God said, and you don't realize that it was either through a prophet, you don't realize it was either through a vision, you don't realize it's either through a dream until you do better study. You just assume God's talking to everybody. He's not. Sometimes he talked audibly. Sometimes he was doing the visions and dreams. Abraham's covenant was in a vision. Joseph's dreams, Jacob's dreams, we talked about that. Very rarely did he come and visit someone where he came bodily. That was usually the second person of the Trinity. We refer to him as Jesus Christ, but before he came here, his name wasn't Jesus. He was just the second person of the Trinity. He would show up. For example, he was the one that showed up and spoke to Samson's parents in a physical visitation. He's the one that appeared to Samuel 
in a physical visitation. He's the one that appeared to Solomon. You see, God would come very rarely in a visitation or physical form. All right. But then everything changed after Moses. God may communicate with everybody, and then it shifts to God does not communicate with everybody. Why? Well, we asked him not to. Exodus chapter 20, verse 18 through 21. Exodus 20, 18 through 21. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. This is Mount Sinai. All Israel's at the bottom. Y'all remember this? The people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Y'all tracking? Please don't let God speak to us anymore. We want a mediator, not him speaking directly. Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you and that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Only one man was willing to walk into it because he was allowed. At that point, everyone said, we don't want to hear from you anymore. It's intriguing that so many of us say, I don't understand why God's not clear and he doesn't speak to us anymore. You have to remember, you have to go back a little bit in history. We told him to stop talking. So he shifted into two new methods of communicating with people. He would do the rare visitation. He would do the rare dreams and visions. But he started utilizing what were called priests and prophets. Priests and prophets. And he started using these methods. Casting lots and the Urim and Thummim. Now you're going to go, what are those? Well, let me explain it to you. Here we go. Very powerful verse is in Proverbs 16.33. Proverbs 16.33. Let's talk about casting lots first. Y'all know what casting lots is? It's a little bit like drawing straws. Who gets a short straw? It's kind of a, it's a random game because it is also casting lots that they cast for Jesus' garments at the cross. In other words, they wanted to say, okay, let's all be fair about this. None of us know which one it's going to be. They put them in and they cast the lots. It talks about casting them in your lap. You would put your robe out. You'd sit cross-legged and put your robe out. And you put them together and you'd cast lots. It's basically like flipping a coin or rolling dice. That's the idea. God said, I want you to find out my will through those methods now. Casting lots, powerful verse. Proverbs 16.33. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from Yahweh. Oh, that's crazy. You went in random. God jumped into the random and brought order. Proverbs 18, 17 through 18. The one who states his case first seems right until the other one comes and examines him. The lot puts an end to quarrels and decides between powerful contenders. In other words... I don't know, you're presenting this case, you're saying it's a he said, she said, what does God say? Y'all tracking? This is a little bit creepy. This is a little, little hard. All right? Now, let me explain this to you. You go, there's no way you're going to put your important decisions into a flip of the coin. Well, 
It's how Jonah was found out. Y'all remember he was on the boat and they're like, who's the one that sinned and caused all this problem? Cast lots, boom, it's you, dude. They knew that. It was how they divided Jesus' clothes at the cross. It's how they chose Judas' replacement as an apostle. It's how they divided the promised land among the tribes of Israel. It's how they determined the scapegoat. It's how they sorted jobs at the temple. It's how John the Baptist's dad, Zechariah, got in the temple in the first place. Yeah, they used it all the time. It was constant. God, what do you say? Bing! Heads. That's how it went. If you thought it was hard to hear God today, how about going with that one? Well, there's another way to do it, but it's not much cleaner. It's called the Urim and Thummim, Exodus 28, 30. And in the breast piece, meaning that uh, the high priest would wear this fancy gem-studded breast piece, and he would wear, there was gems on his shoulders and gems on the front breastplate, and it had a pocket on the inside. And in the breast piece of judgment, you shall put the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be on Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. Thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. And you go, what does that mean? They would put one black ball and one white ball in there, is what most scholars believe, and they'd mix them up in the pocket inside, and they would draw out the answer. That's it. And you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I hope you didn't put anybody's lives at risk. Sure they did. 1 Samuel 14, 41 through 42, therefore Saul said, O Lord God of Israel, why have you not answered your servant? If this guilt is in me or in Jonathan, my son, O Lord God of Israel, give Urim. But if this guilt is on your people Israel, give Thummim. And Jonathan and Saul were selected. But the people escaped. Saul said, all right, now let's get more detailed. Cast the lot between me and my son, Jonathan. And Jonathan was taken. In other words, they were trying to figure out who the guilt was on, and they went, started going through these random flip of the coin, ding, 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 and they ended up with Jonathan, and it was Jonathan's responsibility. All right? So the point is, is that as he removed himself more and more and more, he would put in these elements, but they seemed random, but they were selected by God. Messy, yes? Hmm. God the Father then only began to speak through prophets and priests outside of that. 1 Kings 8, 10 through 14, And when the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of Yahweh filled the house of the Lord. And Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would dwell in thick darkness. I have indeed built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. The king turned around and blessed all the assembly of Israel while the assembly of Israel stood. What does that mean? When the temple was dedicated, God's power and presence descended upon it. That's very important. Because here's a premise you need to understand. God speaks where God is. If God is there, he will tend to speak from there. Moses goes up to the burning bush. As he gets near the burning bush, who is in the bush? God, and God speaks. Moses, Moses. Do you remember? God tends to speak from the location where he is. So if you study the Bible of the priests, they had to go to the temple near God's presence in order to get the words. You find out that all throughout the area, they usually needed to be near the Ark of the Covenant. Do you remember that box, the gold box, right, with Indiana Jones? That 
was where God's presence was. So before the temple was set up, they had a mobile tabernacle. They would keep the Ark of the Covenant in there, and the priests would minister before the Ark, whatever that means, and that's where they would get their information because God tends to speak from where God resides. I'm going to keep saying that because it's going to make a big difference to you when we get to the Holy Spirit. God also spoke through prophets. Here's the powerful verse that says it all. In 1 Samuel 3.1, now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of the priest Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. In other words, there came out to be a drought where God just went silent on everybody. And then a young boy shows up through a mom that couldn't have kids. Her name was Hannah, right? And all of a sudden she has this boy. The boy goes into the high priest whom God had rejected. Now, even if he was ministering before the ark, God wasn't saying anything. But the little boy tends to spend the night there. And this is what happened. 1 Samuel 3, 3 through 10. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. And the Lord called to Samuel, and he said, Here I am. And he ran to Eli, the high priest, who was sleeping, and he said, Here I am, you called me. But he said, I didn't call you. Go to bed. So he went and laid down. The Lord called again Samuel. Samuel arose and went to Eli, and he said, Here I am, you called me. But he said, I didn't call you, my son. Go lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Uh, are, are we all clear that it's a little hard sometimes to discern the voice of God because he kind of sounds like everybody else? <laughs> then Eli, the high priest, perceived that the Lord was calling the boy, and Eli said to Samuel, I get it. Go lie down, and if he calls you, here's what you say. Speak, Yahweh, your servant is listening. So Samuel went and laid down in his place, and the Lord came and calling as every other time, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, Lord, your servant's listening. And that was a game changer. God drew near again to a young man, and he began to speak to him directly. That was the one who would anoint who? But the greatest kings of Israel. He anointed Saul, he anointed David, and he set up the order of Solomon. So here's the idea. I want to sum up the Old Testament prophet for you for a moment. There is what was called the office of prophet. These are the people that would do the thus saith the Lord. Now, if you remember, God was not speaking in any other ways. People had no access to hear from God. The only way they could communicate was through a priest or a prophet. Most people did not have access to a priest. The only way they could hear God at all was through a prophet. And the prophet didn't always know what they were talking about. It was a tough job. But that prophet would say, God has said this. And it was gospel fact 
There was no way to cross-check it. There was no way to cross-reference it. There was no way to know if it was legit or not up front. Well, do you understand the damage that can occur? And that's why we have Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 5. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, but then he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them, you don't listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk so you shall purge the evil from your midst." extreme accountability. There weren't a lot of false prophets hanging around. Why? They're all dead. Fastest way to shut something down, right? It's kind of like, well, he's not causing us problems anymore. Why was the penalty so severe? Because there was no other way to know. So everything relied on the word of trust. If you violate that trust, we are now going to have a distorted view of God, and that person was put to death. All right. That is for the office of prophet. The thing about the kings, just so you are aware, I know we read the Bible and we're like, oh, Saul talked to God, and David talked to God, and Solomon talked to God. Almost always it was through a mediator. Uh, King David, a man after God's own heart, did hear from God directly, but almost all of his messages came through his two prophets, Gad and Nathan. Gad and Nathan. It was not direct. It'll say, and God said to David, and you think he heard it. He didn't hear it. It went through somebody else. He had to always trust that they were right. They weren't always right. Oops, that's a problem. The prophets in the Old Testament are all the people that you know because they all have weird names. Any book of the Bible that you cannot spell, that is a prophet. So, we have things like Habakkuk and Haggai and all, okay, they're all prophets, right? And you're not, is that a two Ks? Is that a one, right? Okay. But it's also guys like Isaiah and Elijah and Elisha and Ezekiel and Daniel and Jeremiah and Hosea and Joel and Amos and Obadiah and Jonah. These are all prophets. The majority of the Old Testament is prophetic writings from people that heard from God and spoke for God in the office of prophet. When they finished, the last prophet to speak and write for God was who? Malachi. Now, that is not the last book of the Bible, of the Old Testament. It is in our order. It is not in history. The last book is Second Chronicles. The reason why that's important is right after that, because of the corruption and sin of the nation of Israel, God went silent for 400 years. It's called the intertestamental period. Remember, when God goes silent, something's wrong. Y'all tracking on it? Okay. All of a sudden, a little crazy kid shows up. He's a miracle kid. He has a Nazarite vow. His name is John the Baptist. And all of a sudden, God starts speaking again through a prophet. What does he say? The Messiah's coming, right? And that's when the Son of God comes into the world and begins to speak. We have now moved from the Father speaking to the Son speaking. How did the Son speak? He came real close and he spoke 
verbally. As a matter of fact, Deuteronomy 18 prophesied this. Deuteronomy 18, 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, Moses said, from among you, from your brothers, meaning a Jew. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of assembly when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore lest I die. And the Lord said, they are right in what they've spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Why is that such a powerful prophecy? What did Jesus say about where he got his messages from? He said, I do not speak on my own. I only speak what the Father says. Are we all putting the pieces together? Okay, good. Now, there were tons of prophecies about Christ. I think we've all done enough study and knowing that a lot of people said prophecies about things that came true. That was pretty cool, right? But Christ had a very, very prophetic ministry. He also spoke prophecy. He was a prophet. Now, that is intriguing. You don't think of him that way, but he was because Jesus Christ was prophet, priest, and king. You just have to think through it in a different lens. He was the king of all Israel, right? And he was the priest that was the mediator between God and man. And he was the prophet that spoke on behalf of the father. So he is prophet, priest, and king. All right, so in one way, he is very much like us. Because as I've shared with you before, the Bible seems relatively clear to me that he operated with what I call a blindfold method, yes? Where he did not use his omniscience, he relied on the Holy Spirit's ministry so that we could follow in his footsteps. But he is also unlike us in the fact that he was pure and sinless, so he didn't have a messed up conduit. He was getting clear downloads without any harassment. He didn't get omniscience, but he was really prophetic. If we're going to talk about somebody gifted and anointed, that's Jesus Christ. So in some ways, he's like us. In some ways, he's ahead of us. Y'all following me? All right. But it is important that Jesus said, I only say what the Father says. John 8, 28. When you've lifted up the Son of Man, you will know that I am he. I do nothing on my own authority, but I speak just as the Father taught me. John 12, 48 through 50, the one who rejects me and doesn't receive my words has a judge. The word that I've spoken will judge him on the last day. I haven't spoken on my own authority, but the father who sent me has given me a command, what to say, what to speak, and I know that his command is eternal. Therefore, I say what the father has told me. This is very, very important. The son was sharing the revelation of the father. The father wanted to communicate with man, but he's not going to talk direct. The son took that message and handed it out to the people verbally, right? Here's some obvious prophecies that Christ spoke. He talked about how he was going to die and that he was going to raise from the dead and ascend into heaven. He knew that. He talked about the destruction of the temple. He talked about the end times. He talked about future global evangelism and recording of scripture. He talked about uh, the last supper prep. Jesus knew all that was going to happen to Lazarus before it happened. He knew about his betrayer and his betrayal. He spoke out about uh, the falling away of his disciples, the betrayal of Peter and the future meeting place after the resurrection. He said that Peter would become a rock. He even said what Peter's method of death was going to be. He's very prophetic. Jesus Christ was a prophet. 
And he said, I'm going away. And it's better that I go away. Do you remember that? Because here's the deal. Jesus is my hero. If I was any of his disciples and he said, it's better that I leave, I would have had a little problem with that. I mean, no, you're my everything. And he said, I don't think you get it. It's better that I leave because I'm going to send one who is soft in heart, just like me. But I'm going to send you a helper that's going to be even closer than me. He is the Holy Spirit, right? All right. Do you realize that the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible and he still talks today? Here we go. Second Peter 1.21, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In other words, God spoke and we wrote it down. It is a false distinction to say there is the Bible and then there is God speaking today. Why? Same God. Same God. He spoke before. He's still speaking. How we treat the medium or the channel by which he speaks through is the difference. Yeah? Because how he spoke through the Bible is different than how he speaks through people. Same God, different medium. We'll talk about what that means in a moment. But God speaking is God speaking. Let's not play a different game that it's a different God in the Bible and a different God that's speaking today. That is not correct. The Holy Spirit spoke through people. He spoke through modern-day prophets or what we would call New Testament prophets. John the Baptist, Agabus, Jude and Silas, the four daughters of Philip, Anna, Simeon, groups of prophets that hung together and they traveled around together. There was a New Testament prophetic office by which God would communicate through the Holy Spirit and direct them. That they literally had a job description for a prophet. You had your pastor teacher, you had your prophets. They had two different jobs, both important. How do we know that? Here we go. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, which is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 28 through 31. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. Now he's putting them in an order of importance and authority. Notice what order he just put them in. Apostles are the authority, the highest authority. Prophets, teachers, then miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administrating various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. But earnestly desire the higher gifts. Do all people have the office of prophet? No. But there's a whole bunch of people in the Bible that weren't prophets that prophesied. Because you can prophesy without being a prophet. How do we know that? Peter, filled with the power of the Spirit. Nothing says that he was a prophet. He was an apostle. 
But it says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, and then starts blurting out what's going to happen in the future. Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mom, filled with the Holy Spirit, starts to prophesy. Zechariah, John the Baptist's dad, filled with the Spirit, begins to prophesy. Simeon, filled with the Holy Spirit, begins to prophesy. Peter, filled with the Spirit, begins to prophesy against Ananias and Sapphira. Even Caiaphas, the bad guy, accidentally prophesies because the Holy Spirit comes on him too. And he says that one man should die for the sins of the world. Okay, what's the point in all this? The Holy Spirit spoke direct to the church. Is God still speaking to the church today? You have to answer that question one way or another, and you have to have biblical backup to why. If you say God suddenly no longer has anything to say, you need to be able to back it up with Scripture. If you say that He does, you have to back it up with Scripture. You all tracking with me? I believe that God is still speaking today, and if he's not, something's seriously wrong. Yeah? Silence is not good. But here's what's intriguing. Here we go. John 10, 4 through 5. When he has brought out all his own, Jesus said, the good shepherd goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. They'll flee from him, for they don't know the voice of strangers. That's an interesting analogy for Jesus to share, and then he dies. How can you hear his voice? It's better that I go, because the one coming will reveal all things to you. You go, well, yeah, yeah, it was only about the early church. It was only about, like, you know, the, the apostles. John 10, 16, he's not done. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. And there will be one flock, one shepherd. In other words, there still weren't sheep in. They were the Gentiles. They didn't come in until later. They didn't come in until much later, and they were supposed to hear his voice. How are they going to hear his voice? They're going to read the Bible? The Bible wasn't written yet. So my point is, is of course God is speaking. That's what shepherds do. And when it says they will hear my voice, that's a present tense. He's walking along going, they're going to keep hearing my voice. That's what we do. I'm always communicating to my people. You're not going to follow the voice of a stranger. There's lots of voices out there. You don't follow them. You follow me. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 16. It is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything. Even the depths of God. Who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of the person which is in him? No one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. In other words, the Holy Spirit is constantly revealing. Who is God? Who is God? Who is God? Who is God? Who are you? In light of who he is. That's what the Holy Spirit talks about. Verse 13, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Wait, wait, wait. If everything is just simply Scripture, black and white, on a page, there's plenty of Bible scholars that don't know Jesus, but they are experts in Jesus. There's something deeper, is there not? 
because it's spiritually discerned, that the Holy Spirit has to illuminate, has to constantly communicate, or you're not going to get it. He only does that with believers. For we have understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Why can we understand what the Holy Spirit does? We have the mind of Christ. Every believer has the ability to hear from God. 1 John 2, 26 through 27. But the anointing that you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Hmm. Does God speak through people today? Yes, he does. 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 10. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. You're like, oh, okay, so they're going to stop. As for tongues, they will cease. Yep. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Ooh, that's awkward. <laughs> for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial shall pass away. When will it stop? When the perfect comes. Who's the perfect? Jesus. When is he going to return? I have no idea. But do you understand they do not stop until Jesus returns? Therefore, they're still going. Ephesians 4, 11 through 14, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we would no longer be children. Has that happened across the world? No. Why are they still operating? Why am I still a pastor and a preacher? Because we are not mature yet. Why are there still prophetic ministry going? Why is there still different things like that? Why is there the ministry of healing? Because God's still building his church. He's still communicating with his church. He's still knitting his church together. Every believer has the ability to speak on God's behalf. Amen. And I need you to know why. It's Acts chapter 2, 16 through 18. Acts chapter 2, 16 through 18. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall what? Prophesy, and your young men shall see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants in these days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. When was that quoted? Pentecost, the launch of the church. The church was the beginning of the prophetic ministry for the future. Now, why is that so important? Let's tie all the dots together. God speaks from his dwelling place. Where does God dwell now? In us. Remember, they had to get to the temple to get next to the presence, but now the presence is in us, and we're called living temples, right? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You all tracking with me? Therefore, we are a walking temple, and he is within us. Therefore, his communication will come most likely either from someone else, from their temple, or from inside your temple. That's how God talks. So let's understand modern-day prophecy. Let's define our terms real quick. Office of prophet. An office of prophet means someone called primarily to focus on their gift, and they are set in the church as a way to discern God's will for the whole local body. Are there office of prophets today? I don't know. Probably. We don't have one. We don't have anybody that is ever locked into that role that they would say, 
You guys, as everybody is seeking the Lord's will for Bridgeway, I'm going to put everything aside and put all my attention to try to discern the will of the Lord. Nobody's doing that. Everybody's too busy doing their own thing, right? The only reason I have the office of teaching is that you have given me the right by giving me a salary to push everything else away and to study the word of God and proclaim it to you. Ironically, prophecy means foretelling and forthtelling God's words. Every time I preach out of the word, you are hearing prophecy. This is why I said you're getting it all the time. You're not calling it anything fancy. You go, no, that guy's just reading the Bible. Oops, you just missed it. That was prophetic. Because whether God is speaking in the past or right now, if I'm reading God's word, it is prophetic because it's what God said. Y'all following? So you've actually been surrounded by prophecy your entire Christian existence in more ways than simply that. You go, well, that's not really it. I'm talking about the weird stuff. (laughs) You don't get to define prophecy. God defines prophecy. All right? Pentecost was a game changer because God dwells within us. Modern day prophecy. There is the office of prophet. Then there is prophecy, which is normal Christians speaking on God's behalf. Then there is the gift of prophecy. In other words, when they prophesy, there's something different. You go, what do you mean prophesy? If you go to your friend in their house and they said, man, I feel absolutely heavy like God hates me and he has condemned me. Bing, something pops into your head. What is it? Romans. For God has said, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What did you just do? You just operated as a prophet. Bing, I got the word of God. I know what he said. I'm saying it to you. That actually is prophetic. You just took it into a different context, took it off the stage, took it into somebody's home. That was not really that shocking, right? But that is prophecy. All right. If you have the gift, when you say it, there's weight to it. When, and, and you go, well, how do you know that? Because all gifts are gifts. When I preach and teach, I can teach it in a classroom and someone else can preach and teach. When I preach and teach, there's an impact. Why? Because there's a gift to it. It's not, it's not different in words. There's a difference in imp- impact. That's what a gift does. So when somebody says, I have the gift of prophecy, it just means that when God rolls through it, he throws an anointing on it. That's all it means, all right? Gifts are gifts, so what is it? It's speaking to other people on God's behalf. Um, There are three key purposes of modern-day prophecy. You ready? Three key purposes of modern-day prophecy. Number one, revelation of revelation. Revelation of revelation, what does it mean? The Holy Spirit came to reveal what the Son revealed. That's what the Bible says. John 14, 25 through 26 and John 16, 12 through 15. John 16, 12 through 15 is good. Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he won't speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he'll declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Are we seeing a pattern here? The father has something to say, and sin messes it up, so he backs up and sends the son. 
The son scoots in and says, hey, you guys, dad's not done talking. I'm only going to tell you what he says, but I got to go. Hold on, I'm out because I have to die for your sin. Your sin keeps screwing everything up. But I'm going to send somebody else. The Holy Spirit's like, hey, now that the sin thing is done with, I got something I need to share with you. It's what the son was just saying. I'm not even talking on my own. I'm revealing what he revealed. Are you seeing the pattern? Revelation of revelation. Jesus said, I got more stuff to say. You can't handle it right now. I still need you to hear. The Holy Spirit's going to show up and he's going to tell you. All right. Uh, Let me be very clear on something. The power of God's word is different. Here's why. The Bible is the clearest if it's read right. Can we all agree that not everybody's reading the Bible the same way? Okay, so I understand everyone's like, man, the Bible, the Bible. Okay, if you are not doing your interpretation, the Bible's not all that helpful because people are still saying contrary things to each other looking at the same passage. So let's be very clear. It's only if you're reading it right is the Bible clear, but if you read it right, the Bible is the clearest record of God's words, but it's not exhaustive. We know that. The Bible isn't all that God has to say. There's other stuff that Jesus did that's not recorded. Even all the authors said, I have more stuff I need to tell you, but I can't tell you yet. All right. Therefore, if it's the clearest, the more you know the Bible, the more you'll begin to learn to hear the voice of God today. Because if you can track on his voice the way he was speaking, you can hear him speak more now because it's gonna sound the same. The shepherd will have the same ring to it. Does the concept of hearing God today open up the canon of scripture? It does not. The canon of scripture is closed. The canon of scripture means acceptable books of the Bible. It doesn't mean that just because God is still speaking that suddenly we now can just start adding on the book of Lance and the book of Bob and the book of, you can't do that. Why? The reason the Bible is reliable and true is because it's been cross-checked by Jesus. It got authorized by John in the closure. In other words, the whole point was, we know it's legit because it got cross-checked by legit people. When you have that much cross-checking, it becomes reliable. And now you start going, that's my God. If anything doesn't match up with that, it's bogus. Right? That's how we track. The word of God versus human prophetic words. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed. And profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Bible's a different ballgame, y'all. If I come to you and I'm like, you know, I really feel like the Lord is sharing with me this. Okay. That's not the same as in 2 Timothy 1.5, it says they're not on the same level playing field. The conduit's clearer in the Bible, right? So please, we're not putting them on the same level. Same God different conduit. Same God, different medium. Same God, different veracity, right? Verifiable. Okay, great. We got all that. All right. So, number one, revelation of revelation. That's the reason for modern day prophecy. Number two, you ready? To build up the church. To build up the church. To edify, exhort, console, encourage, and strengthen. 1 Corinthians 14, 3-4, the one who prophesies speak to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who prophesies builds up the church. Paul is really, really big on prophecy, <laughs> you guys. 1 Corinthians 14, 1-5, pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And he just keeps going on and on and on. 
1 Corinthians 14, 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, let each one of you have a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation, and let all those things be done for the building up. Your gift that you get to share what God has to say is not primarily for you. It's for you to help other people. That's why you have it. Sometimes you're just sharing scripture at an opportune time. Um, I need all of you that are mature. When you read the Bible and you're reading, you're like, God, I don't understand why you had me turn to Second Chronicles. This is dumb. This is nothing that I can use for my daily devotional. Be wise enough to realize that's not for you. That was for the person that you're about to talk to in three days. Yeah? So you hold that in your heart and you wait. And someone goes, man, I just feel like, like God's not being very clear. Oh, that's funny because I just read this story two days ago about how this person was wrestling with what God wanted them to do, and, and then all of a sudden you start sharing. That's prophetic. You're sharing scripture. But there also is a fresh word when he said, whenever you come together, y'all should have a revelation, meaning that not everybody, but some people should have a revelation where you come in and you have something fresh for somebody. Now, it's not new. It's just fresh. Big difference there, right? New is... We've never heard that. Here's what fresh is. God sees you. Now, is that always true? Yep. But because that person happens to feel super lonely and lost and abandoned, when you said it at that moment, it was fresh. And ding, it locked into their spirit. They went, what's that? It's always been true. It's just fresh, right? All right. Number three, encouragement and connection encouragement and connection. God is still in relationship with his people, so he has us operate in prophecy to build relationship with him, to hear his voice and engage with him. That's just, it's a personal connection thing. Number three, encouragement and connection. Encouragement and connection. In other words, relationship building. That is a reason for why God still speaks today. It's just relationship building between you and him, okay? All right, so how else does God speak outside the Bible? We've been talking a lot about the Bible, which is obviously a huge part of our ministry here, and I'm kind of obsessed with it. But how else does he speak? Well, here's seven ways that God also speaks outside of the Bible. Here we go. Number one, life situations. Life situations. It can be everything from, wow, that kind of crashed into my life, that put me here, so I ended up learning this lesson. Well, I was really going a bad direction. I ended up getting busted by the cops. I ended up in jail, and that turned my whole life around. Wow, you understand what I'm saying? Like, it can be just life situations where God is steering you. God still speaks like that, right? Or it could be very specific. Like, for example, um, it was Abraham's servant. He had to go get a wife for Isaac, Abraham's son, and he went up to the well. Do you remember this story? I love this. He goes up to the well, and he's like, all right, I totally have to find a wife. I don't want to blow this. This is my big job. And he's like, God, here's what I need you to do. I don't even know if you know me and I know you, but I know you know my boss, and I know that you like him. So if you could help me out here, that'd be great. So what I'm going to do is I'm hanging out here by the well when all the women come to the thing. And the one that says, hey, can I draw water for your camel? That's totally the one. That's what he prayed. Well, now you got to figure out if it's going to work. So he's like, just sitting there, right? And all these women are coming up and they're getting their drink and they're not saying anything. And then all of a sudden, one of them goes, hey, can I get your camel's drink? He's like, whoa! And she's totally cute. 
right? Number one, life situations. Number two, number two, impressions of the heart and mind. Impressions on your heart and mind. This is the most common way God speaks today. Why? Because he's spirit, and so he tends to speak to your spirit, and it, the only way you t- are testing on it or tracking on it is through your soul, which is your mind and your heart. But God speaks, and he tends to emanate from where he dwells. So he dwells on the inside, so he tends to speak from the inside. We're not used to tracking on that, so it's a little bit weird for us. It's not quite as weird as the Urim and Thummim <laughs> or casting lots. Number three, dreams and visions. Dreams and visions. Now, of course, they're super subjective. You got to be careful with those. But the Bible is full of them. So God obviously communicates that way. Number four, the incredibly rare method is audible. Audible. Um, There's a couple different times in Scripture when the person heard the word of God and people were sitting around him and no one else heard it but them. So it doesn't mean that just because he speaks, everybody hears it. So there's a little weird stuff about audible. Usually, if God speaks audibly, something bad is about to happen, <laughs> right? Everyone's like, man, I wish God would totally talk to me. Uh, no, you don't, <laughs> right? Number five, I call it sudden wisdom, sudden wisdom. This is one of my favorite. You're in a conversation with your buddy and, uh, or somebody that you just met at Starbucks, and they're like, so I don't really understand. Um, why do you believe in Christianity? And at first you freeze. Why do I believe in Christianity? <laughs> and all of a sudden, you're like, because. And, then, and all of a sudden, all this stuff starts flowing out of you. And you're like, whoa, that's so rad. Look at me. I'm just going, woo. Got all Pastor Lance on him. Here's the funny thing. You think that you're suddenly brilliant. You're not. <laughs> that's the Holy Spirit, (laughs) right? And it's so funny because you're skipping out of there like, I'm smarter than I thought I was. And the Holy Spirit's like, should I tell him? (laughs) That's not you, buddy. (laughs) You're just as dumb as you always were. (laughs) All right, I call that sudden wisdom. All right, here we go. Number six, God speaks through those around us. That's other believers. Pay very close attention with someone that has the Holy Spirit dwelling in them when they start talking to you, okay? If they're speaking in the flesh, that's one thing. If they're speaking in the Spirit, that's another thing, okay? Yeah, it's, uh, God will reveal himself through other people. Uh, and then finally, number seven, through angels, through angels. You're probably not going to track on that, but just understand that God's doing that. Angels are ministers to saints, and in the New Testament, obviously, that happened all over the place, but it's very rare that we're just going to have an angel show up in your bedroom and start talking to you. It's possible, and it happens, but it's very, very rare. Usually, the, the angels are going to get a message to you without you knowing that it's an angel, okay? That's why they're unaware, right? Okay, cool. So, here we go. This is interesting. Dallas Willard said this about hearing God. Our failure to hear his voice when we want to is due to the fact that we do not, in general, want to hear it, that we want it only when we think we need it. The importance of learning to hear God is that God said, you will not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds. If you're not living off the fresh words of God, what are you living off of? Old, stale word? You're still living off the one time that God spoke to you in college, but you're 65? That's sad. That's not good. Uh, The other thing is the Bible says you need to keep in step with the Spirit. How are you going to do that? 
well, I'm gonna, how are you going to do that? Without operating in hearing God and the prophetic, how are you going to do that? You just have to answer the question. Well, because I'm going to see where God is moving. How do you know where he's moving? Because I'm going to bet you anything, it's probably you're hearing God. So it's important, yes? 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 21. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Don't shut it down. Now, you test everything and hold fast to what is good, but you don't shut it down. Prophecy was given to be used. It said it's a gift from the Holy Spirit. You don't get to, according to the parable of the talents, just not operate in it. That's not okay. That's actually a mandate. All right, so if all this is true and it's awesome and all this cool stuff, then why is it so hard to hear God? I got 10 reasons. You ready? Here we go. 10 reasons why it's difficult to hear and communicate with God. Uh, some of these might be convicting to you. Here we go. Number one, um, and this is the longest description, a holy being and limited creation. A holy being and limited creation. One of the reasons it's hard to hear God is that he's God and we're not. So his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. So he'll tend to communicate about things that we're not tracking on. Um, he'll say stuff, and it sounds very cryptic to us, but it's super obvious to him. Bottom line is, you're trying to communicate with deity. It's just hard, okay? Number two, sin disruption. Sin disruption. Number one was a holy being and limited creation. Number two was sin disruption. Notice that God had to back up every time sin started entering in. So the sin in our lives and the walls that we put up are, are relationship blockers, okay? It doesn't mean you're not his kid. It means it's really hard to hear. That's what it means. Number three, the enemy's distortion. The enemy's distortion. Uh, all the voices sound the same because he's really good at masking his voice. And so it sounds a little bit like other people. It sounds like the voice in your head. It sounds like God. It sounds like the enemy. They all kind of sound the same. Number four, the flesh, the flesh's protection. The flesh's protection. What does that mean? you don't really want to hear God because he's probably going to tell you you need to change something. Your flesh will rise up and go, la, 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 la. Okay? That makes it hard to hear. Number five, the world's distraction. That is a lure towards any shiny objects. That is, I'm about to pray and squirrel. Right? Can't focus. Number six, we don't have the intimacy to commune. We don't have the intimacy to commune. In other words, there's a lack of relationship. We're not quite as connected to Jesus as we would like to think. We pick and choose Jesus and pull him off the mantle when it's convenient, and then we put him back on the mantle. Uh, number seven, lack of quiet. Lack of quiet. Sometimes God wants to whisper, and your earbuds are in, and you can't hear anything but the noise. Number eight, we're too busy. We're too busy. Hey, God, I'd love to hear you. But hold on real quick. I got to grab, grab the guy. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm ordering at Starbucks. Okay, Lord, okay. Anyway, we're back to what we were doing, right? We're too busy. Number nine, just write the word pride. Here's my definition. We don't think God has anything worth listening to. Why should I pray tonight? What's he going to say? Got anything new for me? Nope. Oh, look, it's all quiet. Uh, all right, that's why I'm not doing it. That's Pride. That's a hard heart. Uh, number 10, God has nothing to say to you today. 
You're like, what? 1 Samuel 14, 36 through 37. Saul inquired of God, shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you give them into the hand of Israel? But he did not answer him that day. <laughs> there you go. God's like, and hold, please. Sometimes God, God doesn't want to talk to you today. That's the one. Why? Because God goes, you know what? Here's the funny thing. I gave you 13 directives yesterday, and we really haven't done anything about it. So I don't need to give you number 14 till we handle number one, right? Sometimes God is just going to go quiet. You ready for the next list? <laughs> Boom, let's do it. Let's learn to track on his voice. Nine tips and insights on how to hear God. Nine tips and insights on how to hear God. Here we go. Number one, intensify your relationship. Intensify your relationship. That's the abiding principle. We've already talked about that. I don't want to belabor it. Intensify relationship. Number two, be thinking aware. Thinking aware. What does that mean? Remember, we are body, soul, and spirit. God dwells in our spirit. He's going to communicate from the inside out, so he's going to largely communicate through us through our minds and our hearts. We don't usually know how to track on those. You need to be thoughts aware, which means why did that new thought come into my head? Why is that random thought about that other person, is that something God is leading me into? Until you are thought aware, you're not going to be able to track on him. Because if you're not understanding why you're thinking what you're thinking right now, it's going to be super hard to figure out when God starts popping in there. Because he's going to bring up thoughts in your mind. That's how it's going to work. And those are very hard. Oh, that's super subjective. Not, not really, because you're going to notice there's a different tone to it. It just seems different. There's something different. All right? Um, number three, the more you hear, the more you hear. I call it the best slippery slope ever. <laughs> the more you hear, the more you hear. Once you start hearing from God, it starts you down a channel where you start hearing a lot more from God because you start getting in the groove. Number four, be a humility beacon. Humility beacon. Who does God tend to talk to? Soft-hearted people. It's like a beacon calling out going, I'm listening, God. Your servant is here, God. I'm ready, God. Whatever you say, God, right? That humility, that available, obedient spirit attracts God's voice. Number five, private messages in group. Private messages in group. Here's what happens. If you ever pray with me in a group setting, and this happens a lot with my intercessor team, but usually they're praying. But if I'm in a group where I'm praying, I have post-it notes next to me. Why? Because every time I start praying in a group, I get downloads from the Lord that have nothing to do with what we're praying about. And if I will get totally distracted if I try to keep it in my head. So I write it down on the post-it note and I slide it over and I keep praying. And then bloop, another one comes in. Write it down on the post slide it over and get back into the prayer. I'm easily distracted, y'all. <laughs> and God's just like, well, we can either work against it or work with it. So he works with it. But you're gonna get a lot of private messages when other people are praying. Your mind will go ping onto something else, and you go, where did that thought come from? That's why you need to be thought aware. Cool? Number six, live alert. Live alert. Expect God everywhere. I don't care if you call it secular. I don't care if you call it sacred. I don't care what you call it. God's everywhere, and I need you to track with that, right? Okay? So you just, everywhere you walk, you walk into Starbucks, I wonder where God is today. 
When you start going out into your home, you arrive in your home, what's God doing right now? This is that awareness. Living aware allows you to track on God's voice better. You'll see him more. Number seven, create space for him. Create space for him, giving him time to talk, quiet to hear him, stuff like that. Create space for him. You need date time. Creating space. Number eight, be in a worship-rich environment, a worship-rich environment. God tends to talk where he is praised. God tends to talk where he is praised. What do I mean? Elisha needed to prophesy, the prophet, 2 Kings 3, 15 and 16. He said, now bring me a musician. And when the musician played, the hand of the Lord came upon him and he prophesied. Why? If you want to speak for God or hear from God, get in a worship-rich environment because when God is being lifted up and glorified, he changes the atmosphere. And number nine, uh, listen and learn from those more advanced. Listen and learn from those more advanced in hearing God. You just got to pick it up like you do everything else. You got to ask people and talk about it, right? You're not going to expect it to know everything. It's something that you're honing. It's like trying to dial in a radio. You might want to talk to people at Radio Shack. Oh, wait, they're all closed. <laughs> um, you guys, I know that for some of you, it's kind of like, oh, this is all a mess. Why do we need to bother with this? What's the whole big deal? And it just seems convoluted. Let me give you five benefits on why we should do this, right? <laughs> I got lists all over the place. <laughs> Five benefits of growing. Number one, it's powerful and impactful for the body of Christ. It's powerful and impactful for the body of Christ. It was Moses' favorite gift. Why? Because it says, when the Lord took some of his spirit and put it on them, his elders began to prophesy. And remember, two of them didn't show up to the meeting, but they still got to prophesy, and Joshua went ballistic on them. He's like, I got to shut it down. And he said, Joshua, hold on a second. He says this phrase, I wish all of them would prophesy. So in other words, he wishes everybody operated in prophecy, but back then the Holy Spirit didn't work like that. He does now. That's cool. By the way, it's Paul's favorite gift. Paul kept saying, you know the greatest gift? You know what the greatest gift? You know what the greatest gift is? He's always prophecy. Why? Because it builds other people up. That's why. He said, earnestly desire to prophesy. It really blesses people. Number two, uh, why should we grow in this? It's bonding with the Lord. It's bonding with the Lord. You get to partner with him in really critical times in people's lives. It's super neat to be able to give a fresh word to somebody who's in need. It's like giving them a cold drink of water when they're dry and thirsty. Number three, it matures you. It matures you. The more you lean on the Lord and hear the Lord and serve others and live in step with the Spirit, the more you're going to grow. There's a lot of us that are not growing spiritually because we're not operating in the prophetic. Number four, it brings the Lord near and present to other people. It brings the Lord near and present to other people. It makes him feel like he's right there in the room because he's right there in the room. And number five, this is very important to some of you. Ready? Number five, experiences with God are critical. Experiences with God are critical. We have somehow, since the Enlightenment period, began to think that experiences don't matter and only head knowledge matters. Here's the problem. The entire early church was based off experiences. Yee. Pentecost was an experience. All the prophetic stuff that they had was an experience. The only reason Paul went to Europe was an experience. If they would not have operated off their experiences, we would have no growth of the church. And yet now, these days, 
we only put high value on information exchange. That leaves you disconnected and dry in your relationship with the Lord, and then you fall away. Experiences aren't everything, but they are a necessary part of that marriage. Y'all following me? Okay. Um, feelings and experiences aren't bad. All right. Um, the only thing that I want to say about the difference between uh, prophecy, when you operate in speaking for God, remember it's not primarily about you, it's for you to share for other people. Here's the thing. You're either going to do that with one person or a little small group like their friends are around, you're going to share in a prayer situation, or you would share in a corporate setting, right, like this. Here's the deal. The only thing, I mean, I could go on and on. I got tons of pages on it, but here's the only thing you need to know. The more people, the more accountability. There's the bottom line. It's one thing if you share in Starbucks with your friend a scripture verse and you misquote it. It's another thing if I'm preaching at church and I misquote it. Same thing, gifts are gifts. So if you're going to operate in the prophetic, the more people that are around, the more you're going to get nailed. So be really, really careful on going, man, you know what would be awesome is if I stood up in church and I was like, what? And I would start talking about God. We will destroy you, <laughs> right? Because we're all critical in nature anyway. So the point is we have to be very careful on that kind of stuff. If you're going to be communicating one-on-one, -on -one, that's different. All right, so here we go. These are very, very important things about if you're going to speak because God has shared something with you. Here we go. When we speak, this is wise and healthy prophetic speaking. Number one, discernment is critical. Discernment is critical. The first thing you have to figure out is what did he say? The second thing you have to determine is what does it mean? The third thing you have to determine is what are you going to do about it, right? So let's say God downloads something to you. First thing you have to figure out is, I'm sorry, what just happened? Second one is, I have no idea what that means. Then you find that out and you go, I don't want to do that. <laughs> Determining content is only half the battle. This is very important. Write this down. Just because you hear it doesn't mean you speak it. Just because you hear it doesn't mean you speak it. The Bible says that the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. Don't give me this uncontrollable, I don't know, the Holy Spirit just moved on me and I blurted out something. Don't, don't do that. That's not biblical. Come on. Just because you hear it doesn't mean you speak it. You have to ask, what can the person handle? What can your relationship sustain? Right? Um, there are times when you don't need to pray it, you need to say it. This is, this is kind of a funny one in the church. If you're around charismatic circles that are used to prophesying, you use it to hide. I just feel like the Lord is saying that you're a really, really good, you're really gifted in this area. Okay, why don't you just stop praying and go, hey, dude, I think you're really gifted in this area. I feel like the Lord is, okay, so you're not saying that? There's times that we keep couching it because we're not used to having any ability to communicate with authority and give somebody a compliment. You're allowed to just encourage people. You don't have to put it in a prayer, right? Oh, it sounds more spiritual. Quit dragging God's name into it and making it all manipulative, right? Okay, just say what you need to say. You come up to them and you're allowed to build them up. You're allowed to go, man, I don't know what God thinks right now, but I can tell you what I think. I think you're awesome, right? Whatever, all I'm saying is please don't just throw it into a prayer. Yeah. Okay, when you hear bad stuff, 
let's say you're praying over somebody and, and you get a download about negative insight. Okay, you better put on every filter possible because it's really rare that God's going to give you bad information about somebody else. He's usually going to go direct. That's not his MO. It will be super rare that you hear anything negative. Now, if you're picking up the heebie-jeebies on somebody, that's when you can go to leadership and go, excuse me, I'm not quite sure if I'm tracking on this right. Can you help me out? But you don't just go to him and go, I think, whoa, don't do that. That's not cool. You may not know the meaning or the timing, so don't go beyond what you get. And don't assume you know when. Man, I'm feeling right now like I'm really sensing that the Lord's saying that you're going to just be powerful in the Lord tomorrow. The Lord's like, uh, cut. That was, <laughs> I said 20 years. <laughs> okay? So if you remember, there was an anointing Samuel did over David, and he didn't become king until about 16 years later. So just remember, you don't know the timing. So when you start going, man, I really feel heavy in my spirit, like God just trying to give me some encouragement. But please don't go beyond what he said. Don't start making stuff up. If it's small and simple, leave it as small and simple. That's it. Okay? Um, okay, here we go. Prophetic etiquette. Ready? Prophetic etiquette. Be humble and loving. Be humble and loving. Nobody wants to hear a word from a jerk. Be humble and loving. You want their best. Don't automatically just blurt stuff out. Sometimes you have nothing to say. That's okay. Uh, and please don't use the God told me manipulation trap. Because here's what happens. When you say God told me something, no one's allowed to argue with you. Because what are they going to do, argue with God? It's a manipulation thing. Why is it not okay to just go, as you're praying, just pray it? Why do you have to pause and go, God said, trust me, if you start praying things over them and it's stuff that you may not know, they know it's from God. You don't need to try to make it sound more fancier than it is. Submit to leadership. Prophetic etiquette. You do not walk into someone else's church and start doing something they're not okay with. You find out what leadership thinks and you submit to them. Here's why. Someone has to clean up your mess. And it's a pastor. Prophets go in, say stuff, and walk out. Pastors have to minister to people through what you just said. Don't do that to us. It's not nice. Right? Be very careful on that. And then last thing on prophetic etiquette, please talk normal. Because <laughs> Jesus did. <laughs> Don't make it all fancy. As I was thinking, thy God said to thee. I'm sorry, did you just go King James? Why? Um, lean towards encouragement and couch your words with wisdom. Okay, here's the deal. Risk is good for you, bad for other people. Risk is good for you, bad for other people. If God wants you to step out of your comfort zone, that's awesome. Don't force someone else to step out of their comfort zone. People are not lab rats. Man, I really need to grow in prophecy, so I'm just going to start sharing prophecy with everybody. Please don't do that. Uh, because that's not Nice. Because you go, oh, I missed that one. Meanwhile, their whole lives and their minds are spinning. Um, if you're in super charismatic environments, they're all used to it, and you're allowed to kind of uh, play off each other. But if you're in a conservative environment and you start dropping bombs, 
They don't know what to do with that. So please read your environment, right? Some of you come from very charismatic places, and it's completely cool for you to just go, man, I got a word for you. If you say that to a lot of people, they are going to go ballistic. They don't know what that means, and it sounds scary. Usually it just means, hey, I want to encourage you. Then just say that. I want to encourage you. Nobody goes, please don't. <laughs> um, the more maturity, the more freedom. I'm going to go through these real quick because I have to finish it up. Practice self-accountability. Okay? Um, check on yourself because you don't just keep, keep going. I don't get to preach and then not review if what I said was accurate. That's not right. So please review what you're doing. Um, Y'all, it's really messy to grow in this journey of hearing God. Um, but I think it's, I think it's right. It's, it's discouraging, but it's right. But here's the deal. When someone says to you, can I pray for you? And they start sharing personal stuff from the Lord. If you've never had that happen, it is the coolest thing ever. Because it lets you know that God's watching. Now, if they're forcing it and it bombs and all that stuff, that's not cool. But what I'm saying is when it's done right, it's beautiful. Now, for those of you that are in Bridgeway, let me kind of try to wrap up some of these pieces. Um, wow. I'm behind. Okay, here's a real quick, yeah, we got more to, video to, to run. Here's what I'm going to say. You guys at Bridgeway, this has been happening constantly, and you're not tracking on it, probably. Here's why. Pastor Parnell. Okay, Bishop Parnell operates in the prophetic all the time. For example, he'll tell you a story. He'll say something like this. He said, I was driving the other day, and I already had breakfast. You guys know this story. And God said, the Holy Spirit said, go to William Jessup University. Do you remember the story? And he diverted and went to William Jessup University, but he already had breakfast, but he got breakfast again. It was there that he ended up having that relationship connection with a gentleman from South Africa, and it was a divine appointment. He'll say that story, and nobody said anything about it. That's prophetic. The Holy Spirit spoke to him. You remember the story that I told you where he left, and at the gate, the Holy Spirit said, turn around and go back and wait for Lance. And he turned his car around, came back, and waited for me to walk me out into my car at 9.30 at night. And he left at 6. Remember when he comes out and he sings, and everybody's, you know, we all get so enamored with the singing, you don't realize what he did just before that. Remember when he started calling out to people and saying, my son, come here for a second. God has said, he just called a word of knowledge right there. Now, it didn't seem scary and it didn't seem weird. Why? Because it was done right. It's the same thing that when I'm up here and I'm calling out and communicating to different things or I'm going to say, listen, I don't know why, but I really feel like right now we just need to pray for this. Do you understand? That's called a word of knowledge. Nobody has to make it crazy and fancy. Nobody has to make it all hooplaed. We're just doing normal ministry. This is what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about trying to make things extra dramatic. I'm just talking about gentle, be in touch with the Lord, and as he lays stuff on your heart, please begin to share it and move in it. 
You're not calling out the lust of the Lord and all that. You guys, it's happening in our midst all over the place. Every time I pray for someone, some of it slips out. Why? I'm just praying over people. You go, well, I've been doing that all the time. I know you've been operating in the prophetic almost every time you pray. You're just not calling it that. I would just like for us as Bridgeway to be able to recognize what you're doing and lean into it without calling it scary. Amen. You guys, it's just normal. It's, it's just who we are. So, so here's the thing. I am going to give you this. There are three tests, and we're going we're gonna to close on a negative, praise the Lord. There, there, are, there are three tests to find out if somebody is, is a false person. Because I know that's what you're all concerned about, right? Why would I want to operate in the prophetic? It's so unstable. It's, it's so subjective. Anybody could make up. They could have like bacon too late at night, and then all of a sudden they're saying weird prophetic stuff in the morning. You know what I mean? <laughs> Why would we want to do that? It's just who we are. But here's the deal. There are tests you don't have to fear. You never have to fear, you guys. Why? Because New Testament prophecy is for the building up of the church. If you're not encouraged and built up and transformed by it, it's probably not done right. There's nothing to fear because you can always be calm, respond off of it, take it in context, discern out the bad stuff, and chuck it out. You go, well, that's, that doesn't sound right. They killed prophets in the Old Testament. We're not in the Old Testament. The New Testament says, let two or three prophets share and let everyone weigh what is said. Why would you have to weigh what is said? Aren't you just supposed to kill them? No, you're not supposed to kill them. The Bible says over and over that New Testament prophecy is just the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, just communicating through you. But you're a broken vessel. You're going to say it wrong. And when people communicate to you, they're going to say it wrong. And so sometimes you're going to go, I have no idea what that means. Maybe they did it wrong or maybe it's for later on. But you don't have to worry. You don't have to be afraid. Because here's the deal. There's three tests to find out if somebody is a false prophet or if they're teaching bogus stuff. Here we go. Number one, content. Is it accurate and true? Is it in line with Scripture? No one speaking by the Spirit demotes Christ. They can't distort the gospel, stuff like that right? Merely claiming they're from God is not a test, right? Everybody claims to be from That's not the point. Number one is content. Number two, fruit of their ministry. Fruit of their ministry. What is the long-term fruit of their ministry? That's what the Bible says in Matthew 7, 15 through 20. That's your test. Are they honoring Christ? Are they honoring self? What fruit is being produced in their ministry? Not, do you think it's weird? Not, did it sound weird? What's the fruit of their ministry? Last one, number three, what's the fruit of their personal lives? Their ministry may be thriving because they're around other healthy people, but they are not healthy. What is the fruit of their personal lives? Are they humble or proud? Are they leading in ways of the Holy Spirit or not? Are they living that way? Here's the problem with those three tests. They take time and nobody wants to wait. You want to throw rocks right now please don't do that. You don't know what is true or false until you let it sit. If somebody gives you a word, you don't need to automatically go, this is God's spoken word. All you're supposed to do is go, thank you. Pray about it. Hey, God, that was super weird. 
God, is that real? Was that legit? Is that what you wanted? God, I don't know what you're trying to tell me. If you have no do thing that's attached to it that you know from the Lord, you don't have to do anything. Let it sit. If they ultimately blow up, you go, either that was anointed and God was just using them despite them, or maybe they weren't legit. But even good people don't give everything right. Why? Because they're just human. The Holy Spirit is speaking very clear. The problem is it's going through a distorted mic. Right? If you could just come on over to 1314. Yes, Lord. I don't know what you just said. Right? So the, the whole thing is... Um, a word of knowledge is different than prophecy in that it speaks about information right now. Prophecy, if you're going to foretell, means something that's going to happen in the future. Word of knowledge means something's going on right in our present, and I probably shouldn't know that, but somehow I know that. Sometimes you just think it's a good idea. It's probably not just your good idea. It was probably the Lord, okay? Let's give him more credit for what he's doing. But here's the interesting thing. Do you remember when um, Nathaniel comes and meets Jesus and Jesus said, I saw you under that tree before you got here? That was kind of a trip. Okay, those are, that's super rare. That's hyper gifting where you're seeing stuff like that. There are people that are hyper gifted and they are receiving information about you and you go, well, that seems creepy. It does seem that way, but here's what's interesting. When it's you that they're calling out, suddenly you go, God knows me. You're like, well, why would God give them my social security number? Why would God give them my telephone number? Why would he give them our straight? Because he's trying to make it personal to you. That's why. Are they all legit? No, but the majority of them are legit. Because they got a hyper gifting there and their only job is to build you up. That's why they do it. Because they're trying to say, God sees you, God sees you, God sees you, God sees you. Because so many of us live dry and we say, God, have you forgotten me? The last thing that I'll say, and then I'm just going to close in um, a couple minutes of praying over somebody. But you guys, I dropped this bomb on the week one, I think, about prayer language and tongues. You remember that? And I was like, that we will cover another time, right? Um, here's the deal. Tongues are super weird if you're not around them very much because it is somebody talking in a foreign language, and half the time you're like, I don't think that's a real language. Um, I need to be very clear. The Bible says that, Paul says it multiple times. He said, I need you to pray in the Spirit. He'll even say pray in a tongue. Now, I need us to separate out, there's two types of tongues. One I'm gonna call prayer language, one I'm gonna call tongues, because there's a difference. When you pray in a tongue, that you do not understand yourself. The Bible says my mind is, has no idea what's going on. My spirit is built up, but I have no idea what's happening here. So if you ask somebody and go, what were you saying? They're likely going to go, I have no idea. That's what Paul said. I don't know. When you speak in a tongue for a corporate setting where you are giving a message, that is what has to be interpreted because it's a message for other people, not just for you. 
you don't get to just let everybody else be in the dark. So if you're going to utilize a gift, and I believe that the gift of tongues is different than a prayer language. I think everybody has access to be able to pray to the Lord in a prayer language. I don't believe everybody has a gift of tongues. I don't think that people can just talk in languages they haven't learned. That is flat out supernatural, and that's weird. And in a big corporate setting, that's why someone needs to interpret. Y'all, craziest thing, I was at a prayer meeting one time, and a husband and wife came in and operated in tongues and interpretation together as a team. It was so trippy. They're like, hey, we would like to pray over you guys as a group. One starts firing out in a language, and then she would pause, and then he would communicate, and then she would fire, and then he would communicate, and she would fire, and he would communicate. It was so weird. The whole time, I was like, I can't focus on what's happening. This is so bizarre. (laughs) But here's what I'm saying. The importance, it says that we will worship him in spirit and truth. It says that we will pray in the spirit. How are you handling all those scriptures? When Paul says, my mind is unfruitful. I don't know what I'm doing. Here's why I think it is. Now, I'm guessing. The Bible does not tell you why he does that. Here's my guess. I think that we are very hung up on how to communicate, and sometimes we're emotionally constipated. (laughs) We don't know how to say what we need to say. It's almost like little kids where you go, use your words, use your words. They're like, I don't have any words. If I had the word, I would have yelled at you. Right now, I'm just smacking my head into a wall. I think that we as adults like to believe that we're mature enough to communicate everything articulately, and I don't believe we can. And I think sometimes we have to bypass the control element that we're going to say everything we mean. Because here's what's interesting. When you're in extraordinary grief you will sob uncontrollably and you won't even make sense to anybody else. But your emotions are pouring out so fast, you're getting something out of your chest to God. That's what I think is happening. And so when we tend to hear somebody, like we're all praying and somebody's praying crazy and stuff behind us, we're just like, oh, that's distracting. It's only distracting because it's not normal for you. It's not distracting to me. As a matter of fact, I'm around tons of people that speak in tongues. It doesn't bother me at all or in their prayer language. But here's what I'm trying to say. Is it the best gift? It's a little more of a selfish thing. A prayer language is a personal thing. So that's why Paul said, man, I think it's awesome. I wish you guys all spoke in tongues, even corporately. The problem is is that we don't have a lot of interpreters, so nobody else is getting built up here. I'd rather you prophesy. Why? Because it's in English. Well, he didn't speak English, but you know what I mean. He's like, you know what? Because we're trying to build everyone up. We're trying to build everyone up. If you're just focused on you, you're not building everyone up. Now, there's nothing wrong with you focusing on you for a moment. There's nothing wrong with you pouring your heart out to God. There's nothing wrong with you in your prayer closet saying, God, I don't have the words. You guys, I prayed that way. In a way, it's almost like diverting back to when the baby is trying to communicate something and doesn't have the right words, but the parent still knows what's going on. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit intercedes and interprets for us to God. I think we're a little afraid of emotion. 
I think some of us that are conservative are a little afraid of anything that we can't track and write down in our notebook. <laughs> Unfortunately, that is a part of life. You'll find that out when you grieve really bad and you can't make sense of it. I just think that our Heavenly Father is bigger than that. And I think that he goes, it's all right, kid. Just let it out. And he pats you on the back. Just let it out. I know. Just pat you on the back. So here's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to just explain. Y'all, this is so much more normal than we thought. It's not creepy. It's not bad. It's not weird. And you go, well, it's not really my cup of tea. Okay. All I'm saying is that can we have grace that some other people really want to engage with Jesus in these ways and allow the Holy Spirit to be with them in certain ways? And if they can't articulate it to you like I can, doesn't mean it's wrong. They're just making, they're doing their best, right? So we just have grace for one another. And maybe someday it's our cup of tea, but it's not right now. That's all right. There's not an expectation you have to do any of this stuff. I just want the freedom to walk with your God. That's all I want. Amen? Amen? Amen. Praise God.